Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Welcome to AVG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. My name is Mel. I'm Janet. And I'm B. Hi everyone, it's Janet. I just wanted to give a warning that this episode contains content about domestic violence. We encourage you to listen or skip this episode and check out one of our many other episodes at your own comfort level. Thanks again for all of your support and happy listening. Asian Boss Girl celebrates empowered women of all Asian backgrounds in all forms. Today's guest is someone whose embodiment of courage and power is reflected through her physical prowess as much as her inner strength. Bee Nguyen, also known as Killer Bee, is a 4'11 professional MMA mixed martial arts fighter, actress whom you may recognize from Survivor Season 37, and self-defense coach. From a young age, this Vietnamese refugee learned how to work hard and fend for herself. At the age of 14, she ran away from home and was in an abusive relationship from 16 to age 20. After escaping that relationship, B sought an outlet, a way for her to reclaim her power, which she'd grown disconnected from during those especially tumultuous years. Today, B's work includes sports agency in representing mentoring female athletes and also focuses on empowering women to raise their voice. Special thanks to Isabel Tran, B's niece and ABG listener who made this introduction. In our initial correspondence, Isabel sweetly said, I may be biased as her niece, but watching my aunt's journey as an immigrant, domestic violence survivor, and now boss girl has been a truly humbling experience. So please welcome V to the Asian Boss Girl podcast. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thanks so much for being here, B. I'm so excited to be here. I've uh, heard so much about your podcast and I love what you do and what you represent. So I'm excited. Oh, thank Aww. you. Uh, just for context for our listeners, B's niece actually wrote in to us and shared her story with us and we thought she had such a fascinating background um so you know we don't want to hold her story from you all so we're just going to dive right into it uh b could you take us back to the beginning let us know a little bit about your background uh when and why did your family immigrate to america so my dad fought in the vietnam war a long long time ago and um when my eldest sister was 16 she traveled by herself to America via the boat um, back then. And so we came in 1995, and I guess that was just when she was ready to, um, I don't know how she managed it, but she got the entire family, which is a family of 10. Oh my gosh. Yeah, to the United States. She came here uh, uh, by via boat, became an engineer, um, 
became really successful and then brought her entire family over here in 1995. So that's when we came over. I thought we were going to Disneyland, which I guess we <laughs> eventually did, but I didn't think we were mm-hmm. staying, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh, how old were you, B? I was my sisters make fun of me cuz I always change it up. I I was so I'll give you. I was like I, turning 7. I'm pretty sure. I was 6 oh, turning 7. Wow. I can't be more than a year off, guys. <laughs> I was, <laughs> 95. Yeah, I was turning 7. So, I was oh young, my- but I still remembered a lot of things from uh, Vietnam mm. in my childhood. Dang, that sounds like crazy. I feel like your sister just sounds like such a like empower like boss, strong, resilient woman to be able to not only come here by herself on a boat, but like to bring her family of 10 and become an engineer. Um, in this new country, this new life of hers. And then you did mention, you know, you were 7 when you came over. How were those early years in America for you and your family? Like, do you remember having these like any dreams of like as an of uh, uh, how you wanted to be as an adult when you came? Like, walk us through your early years in America. Um, I think because we've just been through so much as a family that we don't have future lenses like we just mm-hmm. get through day to day so as a child i was raised never to whenever i asked would ask like future or anything past where we were my my family my dad my mom my sisters would teach me like this is where we are now and this is what we're going to do um mm-hmm. and get done so no i never really thought about the future i was just kind of Um I'm I'm a pretty adaptable kid. I'm pretty I've always been really brave and like uh fearless and adventurous. So I just dove right into it. But being a first generation Vietnamese in America as a young child is very confusing. I think my mm. sisters and my parents had a lot of their own identity already and I was just at the age where I was forging my own and here I am as an immigrant. It's not easy to forge your own mm-hmm. identity. Um So I was too American for my household and I was too Vietnamese for my school. So that was really really tough on me. Um but uh I managed to get through it. But it was it was fun. My my sister the the super superhero that you heard about earlier. She did take us to Disneyland and all these fun things. So I thought it was a big old adventure. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, that is I mean, I think what you shared about feeling like you didn't quite fit in with you you know two american and then two vietnamese for the other side i think a lot of our listeners can relate to that and i know i definitely can from growing up and i know mel you know probably can mm-hmm. as well um i'm curious you know coming from that childhood and then going into your teenage years you know our teenage years are usually pretty tumultuous and they're also some of the most formative years and we learned that you know at the age of 14 you left home and you got into a relationship 2 years later with someone who hurt you deeply um just diving right into the to the you know the deep stuff of your life because your life is so interesting could you tell us more about that period of your life yeah um just a little bit of background of of what happened during my preteens which you know growing up as an immigrant in a immigrant family you grow up pretty quickly so that was pretty much my mm-hmm. teens at 14 13 mm-hmm. 12 13 14 um i grew up in a large family um eight girl what six sisters seven girls two boys so my parents are tired and they basically i don't a lot of vietnamese a lot of asian american families can relate the parents are so tired by the end of all these kids that they just provide for you you know and my real true like parenting and molding of who i was came from my sister twee 
And when I was 13, I think, no, even earlier, I think when I was like 12, she left to college. And mm. so I was left with my, my parents were, my parent, my dad passed away at 83. My mom is now 72. So they're a lot older than me. And so I was mm. left with kind of estranged parents a little bit. I was closer to my sister right. Tui. So that's when I felt a little lost, a lot lost actually. Mm. And that's when I, I kind of left home. I had a lot of trouble at school and my parents didn't know how to navigate um, mm. this um, I guess rebellion because mm. ba- back in Vietnam we were trying to survive and there wasn't much rebellion but I, I was rebelling in America and they couldn't handle it so I kind of just left home and uh, I went to Houston because I had a friend A uh, by the way it was a terrible thing I, I think this was a terrible thing back then for kids but it was on AIM AOL you guys remember that chatting yeah. Oh, yeah. I made a girlfriend in Houston and my crazy ass took a Greyhound truck to a bus to Houston at 14 years old and I went to go hang out uh, go visit my friend and and that was all nice and dandy and more surprises and more surprises (laughs) came up and more adapting came up but I was literally enrolled I rolled enrolled myself in high school so I would go to school from 7 7 a.m to 2 p.m and then I got a fake ID and got a job at a bar waitressing so I would work at 15 I would work from 7 p.m. to like 2 a.m. and I would do it over and over again and I was raised in such a hard-working family that Mm. it didn't phase me it was fun it was Mm. like I I was so cool being an adult you know when you're a kid you want to be an adult and so I obviously never related to my friends at school so um, Mm. I met this guy at at the bar I worked at he was a customer and at the time I think he was eight I was 15 16 and he was like 18 19 Hmm. and I didn't have anybody, I didn't have a family, and, and and I was way too prideful to ever go home when I failed, ever. Mm. Like, I was not going to go home until I was, like, a bajillionaire or, like, a, yeah. a doctor that cured cancer. Like, I was not going right. home, you know, a failure. Mm-hmm. So I dove into him as my life, mm. my new life, my new family, and everything was great. Everything was great until it wasn't great, you know? Mm. Um, so... I, I think now that I do working so much with DB uh, survivors, um, I was a prime prime victim for domestic violence. It, it um, and I don't think that he was some kind of villain. I think that those those two types of personalities just gravitated towards each other. He was mm-hmm. kind of broken in the sense that he wanted somebody to control and protect. And I had mm. nobody, so I needed somebody to protect me and even control me a little bit because I had no no direction in life and no parenting. So mm-hmm. that match just got together and, 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 and eventually imploded. imploded. But um, things were great. Things were great for like two years. This like teenager love life and and on top of that it's not like your parents are telling you anything it's like we had our own apartment it was like the coolest life for an 18 year old a 17 year old 18 year old girl ever um until he started um started with a shove then a push then a punch then a kick and then it just it got so horrific that yeah it's like I, i'm such a different person now and i don't know if it's it's trauma response but i can't even imagine like me right now surviving that like mm. it's crazy what you can survive when you're in in survival mode um i mean he's like he's taken wire hangers and like twisted it up and like beat me with it he's like thrown me in a ditch before it was 
um, it was crazy. It was a lot. Every every day was abuse. Every single day, for four years, and um, yeah. So and I don't think the reason I work with domestic violence survivors now is because I don't. I I think that they need a real voice to talk mm-hmm. to them because I would have never left. Like mm-hmm. I'm not this brave pro fighter. Like took him down kind of thing. No, it was the quite opposite. I didn't leave. I never left. I probably would have died in that relationship. We got chased by the police car because he was speeding. And yeah. our car actually eventually um, crashed and rolled four times. And then when we went, when we all got put in custody, he was on probation. So when we all got put in custody, they questioned me. The This hero, I don't remember his name or anything, but this detective talked to me and he just somehow got me to just tell him everything i've never mm. told anybody that before so i but i told him everything they saw the bruises and the cuts on me um so they knew knew a little bit about mm. what was going on and because he was on probation they put him away uh, i think he got 20 years um oh wow and after i visited him for a whole year mm. i supported him i visited him put money on his books um, this is the important thing. This is the reason why I had to step in and work with DV survivors because it's hard if you don't relate. It's hard if somebody's just talking at you and wanting mm-hmm. to help you like a project. Like I wanted mm-hmm. everyone to know. I wanted them to know. Like I know how hard it is. I didn't even leave. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but I also know how good it is once you're out. So uh, the testament is very important. The authentic testament, the testimony is very important. Um, but yeah, I visited him for a year and, until eventually um, life showed me a different way. Wow, that was, am- that was an incredibly powerful story. Thank you so much, B, for your vulnerability and for opening up. Um, I feel like just for, for all of our listeners out there and probably for a few specific that that might ring very that might be very true for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought you had such amazing takeaways. It's obvious that you've had time to kind of reflect, right? When you're saying like, I can't even today imagine that I would have been in that place. Mm -hmm. What struck me with your story that was interesting is that it was so slight progression. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like an automatic, you said you guys were together for two years and you being, also your story is incredible to like, yeah, from at the age of 14 to go away and really become so independent and hardworking and self-sufficient. And it was like, it's like a dream life to be able to be an adult at that age and live with your Mm -hmm. boyfriend and to hear how slowly it progressed into that. And then to your point, even after, by luck that he's arrested, that you still feel a pull towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is such, uh, it's such a probably truer reflection of how domestic violence is exists, but yeah. is not what we would usually see captured in media or how people would think. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's by luck that, that he got arrested. And, and the reason I tell these stories is that like, now I look at what I've done because of that luck, but mm. you can't wait mm. for the luck. You have to make your own luck, you know? Yeah. I was fortunate. Um, I probably would have ended up uh, probably dead, honestly, uh, in that relationship. But I tell other survivors all the time, you have to make your own luck. And, and I'm here to tell you how worth it, how worth it, it is because mm-hmm. um, look at everything that I've done after, after leaving. Yeah. 
No, I want to echo Jan and say thank you for sharing that your story. Um, I feel like um, you, you put it put a lot of things into perspectives, and I feel like in some I don't want to say this, but in some ways I think like entertainment media does kind of like I don't want to say like they they depict domestic violence in a way that's so extreme. I'm not saying it's not, but you don't really understand how the minute little actions can really find yourself in the situations because. Right. This is really random, but your your story it reminds me of this book I read. And I think it's based on like maybe true events, but how it's about this girl who literally she got into a domestic violent relationship, but it mimicked the same dynamic her mom had with her dad, and she told her, "So I don't want to be in the situation." But through a little shove, that was an accident. Through a little push, and all these things, right. she didn't know how to say no. She didn't know how to leave a relationship. She was like, "Oh, this is just." It's always once in a while. It's not all the time. Right. It's it's so easy for people to separate themselves. And mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you, you're no different. It yeah. literally was love. It was mm-hmm. bliss. And then it was, he was so frustrated and he shoved me and he was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe I did that. Mm-hmm. So he showed remorse too. Right. It was yeah. like dating somebody who took a swig of cigarette one day and then ended up with a pack a day. Now, whether that mm-hmm. was deliberate by him and it, and it was manipulation, I don't know. But but from my perspective, I, I, I need to tell that part of the story because I want everyone else to know that there aren't weak people that get into these situations Mm -hmm. and there aren't dumb people that get into these situations. Mm -hmm. You know, it can happen to any of us and it's very, very slow burning. Mm -hmm. And I will say also the strong people that get into these situations Mm -hmm. because it was my strength that didn't serve me. I held on too long, was too strong, wanted Mm -hmm. to save him too much, loved too Mm -hmm. hard. And it was the strengths in me and not the weaknesses in me that kept me in it. So I wouldn't dare insult that girl, that version of me ever in my life, mm-hmm. even now, because um, I use that resilience now and that strength mm-hmm. now for good things. But um, yeah, people in DV, man, it, it happens to any, it could happen to anyone. It happens slowly. Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned to us that like you shared that you did visit your ex-boyfriend for about a year still what made you stop like like you're like i don't want to do this anymore uh attention (laughs) so i started so i'm 18 19 by this point right um um i started going to i mean i had to go to restaurants alone and and bars alone and like guys were like hitting on me and like girls were wanting to be my friend and like it just starts opening up of how great things can be um Mm. you really Mm. strong people don't know bad until they see good you know like i just did not Mm. my life was not that bad you meet me during the dv and i would have been like we got our own house we got this nice car and like my man loves me because that's all i know and i grew up with uh dv also so Mm. what are you talking about what's bad until i got out and guys were taking me on these dates where they didn't want anything from me and they mm-hmm. took care of me and opened the door for me and, and all these things. So when people tell me all the time, what can we do for DV survivors or, or people that date DV survivors? What can we do? Just keep showing them good. Then they'll mm-hmm. start pushing the bad away. Like you don't point out the bad and shun people for p- putting up with it. You show them good and then 
they they themselves will, will figure it out. And that's how I started figuring it out. Why am I driving three hours to visit this guy who used to beat me when Aaron just took me out on a date and was so kind to me and opened the door and told me how beautiful I was and, and all these things, you know? And he was so, he didn't like get upset when his order was wrong and mm-hmm. and just the way people moved were different. And I didn't, I honestly just didn't know. Mm. That's very beautifully put, is to show people the good versus pointing out the bad. Yeah. I think that's very applicable to many situations, yeah. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swathers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Thank you so much for sharing that, like that great messaging through that experience. How did that pull you towards, pull you towards martial arts? So I was, I've always been really strong, but that situation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's like this like up and down of like good and bads, right? So the good part is now I realize my value and I'm like, what the hell was that that I was in? Then the Mm -hmm. bad part was like, damn, bitch, you were in that. Like, where is your sense of confidence? Like, like I shunned myself. I like I shamed myself. I was like, "Why were you in that crap?" Blah blah. So I realized I was like, "I need some confidence. Like I need to feel <laughs> like a bad bee again, and and like a boss babe and a boss bitch, you know." So I was like, "I'm gonna go take a um self defense class." Um, <clears throat> couldn't find any, so I took a Muay Thai class. And the first class, uh, I remember in Houston at um. I like broke, I think it was already broken to be honest. It was quite dramatic. I kicked it and like the bag shattered. Oh, and like, wow. I know, I felt so <laughs> badass. And apparently I was like pretty good. So the coach asked me, like, would you ever train to fight? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I always got in trouble mm-hmm. fighting in school. Like, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like, no, look. And he showed me fights. He was like, women get paid. They like get famous. They get like praise and they get like. They, they get, like, platforms to do all these things. And I was like, whoa. So that's when I started fighting. Wow. So it's someone who, because it was an accident <laughs> that you that you basically showcased your talent in this industry or in this type of in this type of sport and someone someone saw it and basically kind of like scouted you yeah it sounds like most definitely did I, I my life seems to be um, full of uh, unexpected um, accidents and, and luck and 
and uh, that led me to where I am. But yeah, I think he just scouted me, and I was like, hey, let's do it. And I went into the fight. I went. I had a fight four months after that, which is like crazy now. Wow. Yeah, that's so quick, right? <laughs> Insane. And so I, I did a, I did a fight, and she was like this pro, and I was set up to lose, and. Uh, um, she threw like straight jabs and just looked pretty shadow boxing. I saw her warming up. I was like, I don't look like that. So we go in there. I'm like brawling, ugly ass punches, kicks. It was disgusting. <laughs> but I was like not letting up. So I broke her. I dropped her like three times. Wow. She like quit in the fight. Kid you not. Then she retired from fighting that night. And wow. Yeah, it's on it's on YouTube actually my first fight and it's horrendous and uh don't don't watch it. I don't know why I just said that on a podcast. Don't go watch it. It's horrific. But I realized that I was made for this and then mm. coming out of what I came from, that was a first sense of like identity, you know? My identity right. was not going to be like a survivor of DB. I was going to do something else and I found what I was going to do and I was like I'm a fighter like quite literally mm. and yeah. that was always like my super secret kind of Clark Kent moment of like mm. I never spoke about my story I just kind of just did me so but mm. but but underneath I was like you guys have no idea like the shit that I've been through and what I'm really fighting for so when I kick your mm. ass if you really knew what I went through like you you would like f- this is a powerful moment like, I, right. I literally told myself all the time, I was like, this is like, they have no idea. Like, I really just want to fight and wow. and let it out. So that was my therapy. That is amazing. Yeah, to find a way to channel all of that negativity that you've been through and turn it into something powerful and positive. Um, I'm sure, like you're saying, it's like what's interesting about martial arts is that you've said that that's kind of taken a form of identity for you. Um, how do you think martial arts influences the way you approach life? It gives me confidence. It gives me community. I mean, in order to do the sport, you need coaches, you need teammates, um, mm-hmm. all all kind of those things. And it taught me discipline, but not the mm-hmm. discipline, just like people think waking up and working out and always showing up and not being lazy, not that discipline. The discipline of saying something fucked up one day, but returning to that gym the next day. I never mm. really learned that before. I always ran away, you know? And for me, like, no matter what, if I lost a fight and got knocked out. Actually, I've never been knocked out. But if I lost a fight, <laughs> if I lost a fight, I would go back. Mm-hmm. I would be disciplined with my emotions and my pride and check my ego. And that really built my character. I think that because I was born with strength, I was born with resiliency, but what I I had with ego, I, I ran away from my problems and I didn't have identity. So martial arts gave me everything else that I needed in life to, to fulfill, I think, my destiny. Wow, that's beautiful. I loved how you say, it. yeah, to help you, even if you had the work and the ethic, which I think people think so much automatically about, but um, for such a powerful sport, it does require you to be able to check your ego a lot, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, I did not think about that. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I think there's so many people. There's been like NFL players who come in the gym. And like I want to spar, and coach will put them with me. I'm like five feet tall, you know. <laughs> and like if they couldn't give me props, if they got mad, they weren't built for the sport. Mm. Um, hmm. You know, like you don't see twelve packs in MMA. You don't see super ripped people in MMA because it's not about working out and dieting. Mm. It's about like mental discipline and mental control and 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 checking your ego you know so that's why i love this sport wow 
I'm literally just sitting here absorbing everything you're saying. And I just can't help but think like a couple of things. Like, I feel like a little girl, like I could see why Isabel, like how cool, is, how cool is it for her to have an aunt like you, first oh, of all? Exactly. And like, even knowing like, I think it's just really cool because you're the first like fighter I've ever spoken to, a female Asian fighter I've ever had a conversation oh, with. But I, I have so much respect for you because like all the things you've been through and the fact that like, being a fighter is like, it's all about the action. It's not about the talk you talk. It's about you're going to have to bring it and show it constantly. So it's just like, it's a very, um, I'm like losing my train of thought because I'm trying to process what I'm saying. <laughs> but I think with what you do, you really have to be true to who you are as a person, be mentally and physically very strong. But like like you said, the mental game is like, it's what's the thing, it's, it's that, that's the thing that needs to be consistent throughout. Yeah. So I just really applaud like what you're representing and like all this stuff. This is just like crazy. Like I don't think I know anyone who who has gone through what you've gone through and like doing what you're doing. So that's super incredible. Thank you. I do also want to talk about like I think you represent so many things and you did share earlier about how kind of, you know, being an immigrant and facing different dualities for your identity you know you are a vietnamese american woman who fights on a professional level mm-hmm. uh, can you share your thoughts a bit on female duality like as a woman as being vietnamese american or being you know just what is that like for you i've seen it all done it all it's because the opposite of what people think women should be is what i do for a living mm-hmm. and then on top of so like my first fight for example my first coach love him to death like people are just taught differently you know and he's learned after this so nothing on him but he was like you got the main event because you're hot you know just jokingly and the promoter says the same thing and i've been through a lot of things like i fought the um commission in buffalo new york about something they were doing they were sexually harassing uh female women they were doing pap smears basically um for no reason so i fought them for them to stop doing that um i mean it's just a lot and but I'll I'll fight all those battles all day long. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I still continuously fight all the time and I want to tell women is the duality thing. Is mm-hmm. that people will always tell me, like, if you lose a fight, oh, it's because she's taking too many pictures on Instagram. She's too worried about modeling. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and it's never or or um you know, when, when a fighter has a baby, um, you, you, they, you, they think you're going to suck and your career's over. But mm. here's the thing. I, I've, done, I've done movies. I've done TV. I've done modeling. I've done whatever the hell I feel like doing because I don't let people tell me what to do. Mm. You can do it all. Like, you can do anything. Life is literally not a test. It's an experiment. It's an adventure. Mm. And, like, I just believe in women allow giving themselves permission to do fucking anything and like having audacity to take anything um i think now that that has really i've had a lot of like different stages in my life but the same message that always comes through is this one so i really think that that if anybody were to ask me like what do i live my my life by it's audacity you know mm. we are triple double oppressed you know, for eons taught what the fuck to do, how to do it, mm-hmm. and who to impress. And I think when you say duality, uh, is there a word for more than two? You know, because mm-hmm. it's like literally you can do anything. And, and women are probably the only species that can do it and do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I encourage women 
to explore their duality, to highlight it. Be hot. Mm. Be a fighter and be hot. Take hot pictures. Be a corporate woman and be a mom. Be get drunk at night and then do your job during the day. I don't care. Just like do it. You know. That's like I'm super passionate about it because yeah. it's like fucking times up for limits for women and that's why i i do a lot of work with, with women too because i mean audacity is not something easy to find because we were never given mm-hmm. it or t- or shown it right especially right. asian women mm-hmm. yes that was an incredibly empowering um sharing of thoughts i loved how you said life is not a test it's an experiment and i think that is that one line is a good mm-hmm. is a good perspective to take, and I think that that if you live your life thinking that way, you it will push you to be audacious and to to go on adventures and to try things. So thank you for sharing that message. Along with, I, I mean, I'm not surprised now actually after meeting you and listening to your story why your nickname is Killer B. <laughs> but but can you tell us and our listeners how did you get that nickname? So it's that fight. Everything goes back to that fight. And I probably mm. should watch it more. That same first fight. I walk out and I'm like this girl who, um, you know, where I come from, who's nobody. A, a freaking hologram in the world. People see me, but they don't touch me. They don't know me. Um, and then I walk into the crowd and people are chanting. I think from the posters and like... I don't know what it was from Instagram, maybe, but they were chanting "Kill her, B! Kill her, B! Kill her, B!" And as the rounds went on, and remember I told you I was like dropping her and these things like that, mm-hmm. they were—I was damn near crying. So I think that they were just like we're watching something right now, and they were just chanting it over and over again. And I was like, "That's my name." And in the beginning, it was spelled "Kill her, B!" because I thought I was so slick with the words, but it got real <laughs> aggressive. So. <laughs> And I'm like an advocate for women. So I was like, that's not really what I mean to say. So I changed it to regular killer bee. Um, But that's where my name came from. It's like, sounds so corny, but it's actually from the people. No, that's, that's awesome. There's a play on words there that I did not think about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, surviving what you experienced growing up and making a mark in the international fighting scene takes an incredible amount of courage, strength, tenacity, and hard work. And you've already shared with us how you believe that so much of um, MMA is more mental than physical. But how how much would you say of the strength is required is like mental versus physical? And for you personally, how do you keep your mind strong? Um, I think all of it is mental i've seen people Mm -hmm. with crazy mental strength lose 300 pounds and i've seen people that only need to lose five couldn't even nick a pound Mm. you know so your bot your body is controlled by your mind everything is is starts in the brain so obviously mental is everything um i could have broken so many times so i think it is is 100 percent. well it's not 100 90 percent mental and how do i keep my mind strong in the beginning it goes in stages so this is why i really hate instagram memes and instagram speakers sometimes the seven seven second bites because they don't give people permission to go through stages 
there's not one answer. There's not one trick. I can't be like disciplined, do it or suck it up. I think that was what's wrong with how we were raised. They had to like quickly sum up something to teach their kids. And it was as Asian Americans suck it up, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but there's stages, there's different times that your brain needs different coping mechanisms and when i was younger it was suck it up because it was out of my control i'm a kid what am i gonna do suck it up Mm -hmm. you know and then as i got older it was it was recognizing and allowing myself to to be who i was so self-compassion right Mm. um so it was sucking it up then it grew to self i needed self-compassion because sucking it up wasn't working anymore i was falling apart Mm. then self-compassion kind of faded out because I started getting lazy and and gave myself too much damn compassion. And so I started tapping into self-accountability. And I think it's just, um, there's no clear answer. You just keep auditing yourself and then giving yourself permission. If it's a constant checking and balances system. And I think if you accept that, then then that'll make you mentally strong. If you really just push yourself to thinking that you have to get to a point where it's just checking yourself and being strong, you'll never ever survive your own mm-hmm. self. So for me, how I keep my mentally strong is like sometimes I'm like, you know what, B, it's all right. What are we going to do now? And then sometimes I'll be, get your ass up, like you're tripping, you know? So it's, 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 it's okay. It's a check in. It's, it's a constant balance system. Mm. Um, but, uh, having those skills to, to, to tap into is, is important. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I've, I've really, uh, worked on self accountability and self compassion. Wow. I'm just like, can you be my mind coach? <laughs> like, <laughs> Because I think what you said is like very accurate. I think when I saw this question coming, I was like, ooh, I cannot wait to get her answer to like, because she was like probably so mentally fucking strong. I need to know this. But you're right. Sometimes you don't like the answer is going to change. And I feel like it's like very natural. Like human beings evolve. And but the things that work for them previously might not work in this stage, in this season of their life, what they're going through. They just like need different things. And I think you kind of said it to the point of like, maybe you want more self-compassion day. Maybe you're like, I need to have to push myself to just get through this thing today. It really just varies on the season and where you are, right? So I love that you had to share that. Even though I was, at first I was like, ooh, what's the, what's the secret answer? What's the just one like, answer? Sorry, yeah, I, know. I was like, there's no like, secret. I was like, B got it. She got it. Um, I think it's really cool. So I feel like, you know, you're such a great representation for, you know, like Asian women in the fighting scene. When you started watching MMA, which fighters inspired you? Um, well, my first fight that made me realize women had a career in this was Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey. She's now my teammate and friend. But um, I think who I really started idolizing was Michelle Watterson. And then she became my best friend. <laughs> Michelle Watterson is another one who's had so many stages in her life. And, and I, I like her because Michelle has like this, don't fuck with me. But also come here, I, I'll give you, like, you need a hug. Like, come Aww. come to come to mama. It's a good balance. Yeah. yeah, Michelle has that gangster of, like, like no, you need to get your ass up, B. And then there's always, like, there's also, like, B, it's okay to cry. Like, she mm-hmm. actually is probably a huge, huge uh, influence in my life and taught me balance. Because I, I was toxically strong at, at one point. And so mm-hmm. it, probably most influential athlete in my life is Michelle. Besides Michelle, is there anyone else that you would either currently consider a mentor or in the past has mentored you? I think Michelle's the longest 
a relationship that I've kept in. I've always just been, even currently, I'm kind of working on that phase of my life right now. I've always mm-hmm. been a kind of a rolling stone, kind of like a nomad. So I've just pulled from different people and and um, see how it applies to my life, and, and and I'll take that. But now I'm working on, you know, rolling stones don't don't grow deep roots. So now I'm 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 working on sitting still and now that I've I've transferred over to uh I've I'm also in sports agency now and I mentor fighters now. I feel like I mm. need to have more roots to to mentor and teach others. So mm. maybe besides Michelle, maybe I would be the next mentor for somebody else is kind of my goal right now. Oh, I love that answer. That's great. But V, how do you think people can better support Asian female pro fighters? You know, um, like whether it's like within the coaching network, fans, like what can we do to help support? I think seeking out and like supporting. I don't think if I'm just speaking for myself, I, I don't really think I would love like having sponsors would help. Having a network would help. But honestly, throughout my career, you know what? I have had so many fans and the ones that touch me the most are the young Asian American immigrant kids that like send me long messages and, and, and things like that because you can be, I don't know, admired or idolized, whatever, but I'm a runaway. Being mm-hmm. admired and supported by home is my entire life's goal. So now I'm talking to you after almost retirement. I've I've actually just gone back in <laughs> fighting oh, again. Came out of retirement. <laughs> yeah, I just came out of retirement. But a uh, full circle is is for me is just to be on this podcast with Asian American mm. women who care about what I'm doing. Um, I've it's it's a male sport and it's not really a sport women watch often. So for me, um, I think we should seek out other asian athletes nowadays i literally google like asian american singers asian american podcasts i literally do my research because we are not highlighted enough so we have to do the work to seek each other out you Mm. know like um i i seeked out twee recently who's now like my little sister um i never knew about her she had eighty thousand followers and so i became friends with her and and now she's like all over the billboards and stuff like that we just need to seek each other out because um we can't just take what's given to us as far as entertainment because then we would Mm. just be supporting everybody else which is fine you like what you like but i think if we put in a little more effort to find out these artists these creatives these podcasts these athletes like me who's been doing it for 12 years and most asian american young people don't know about me um i'm ranting but i think just educating yourself and supporting others and seeking us out i think just 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 Giving us a, a eyes, your eyes and ears would be amazing. Just the support, just the follow, just the messages is all I, I would love that. I, I love what you said because I also will say like, I think even for me on this podcast and the fact that you're on this episode, I learned so much about like, let's just even like that. Like I don't, I never like, I think in the fighting world, I don't, I haven't met anyone before, but to hear your story, I was like, you're like, again, like one of the most resilient person I've talked to. And I'm like, this is incredible, but to not, to feel like I didn't know your story before makes me a little sad. Yeah. So now that I know it, I just want to share it. It makes me really excited to know that there's other people out there that are in this world that I want to learn more about and I hope the world gets to know about. I think I seek them out now as somebody who's been fighting. I, I, I mentor and I, I, I manage a lot of girls now. But um, 
yeah, a lot of us are doing it alone and we've been doing it alone. And, and you too, you know, your podcast didn't start with a bunch of listeners. And I had to ask my niece, who's like the coolest Asian American young girl ever. She knows everything. Isabel, mm-hmm. shout out to Isabel Tran. But she was like, auntie, you have to like, I have to get you on this podcast. I have to get you on this. And she's just like urging me because she's like, you can't stay in your little pod. Like your story needs to be oh. told and you need to get out. Oh. So I was encouraged by her. And, and now I'm, I think you're asking me the question. So now I'm encouraging everybody else to like, find out about all of us. And if you're yeah. an athlete or a artist or a singer, like email these podcasts and like get mm-hmm. on these comment on these people's pages, like get out there because people probably want to support you, but you probably just didn't know to get out mm-hmm. there. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you, B, so much for being here with us today and sharing your story and all of your words of wisdom. Honestly, it was um Like Mel, I feel like I learned a great deal and I'm walking away incredibly inspired. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of our listeners have really appreciated whether they can relate directly or indirectly. Um, Your story and your message is so profound and just human. Um, Can you share with our listeners if they're looking for you, where they can follow you? Do you have any like fights coming up or things that we can Mm -hmm. tune into and follow along? Yeah, it's pretty easy because all of my social medias across the board have the same name. It's Killer B M M A, so it's K I L L E R B E E M M A on Instagram and everything. And I am fighting November eighteenth in Dubai for the uh, strawweight title um, wow. for this promotion called MFN. Um, and uh, yeah, follow along. I actually just real quick, uh, we just legalized MMA in Vietnam. <gasps> Nice. Yeah, two years ago, I fought. We did the very first event, big event from one championship in Vietnam, and I'm super proud of it. And ever since then, they they've legalized it, and and my friends and are working on a bunch of things in Vietnam. But um, so follow along. I'll be posting all of that stuff. I'll be posting a ton of things that I'm doing besides my own things, and uh, so we can get better connected. That's amazing. I just gave B a, a follow. I like, had to Google yeah. it right away. I was like, I need to follow on this story and this journey of hers now. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Thanks again, V. And thanks again to our listeners for tuning into this episode. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com. If you resonated with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube, where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called Dairy ABG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is at Asian Boss Girl. If you'd like to send a shout out to a friend, check out our link tree and our link in bio on our Instagram and click on shout outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all of her magic on our episodes, including this one. Before we end today, we want to let you all know that we've started new mini podcast shows that now release every Tuesday. Tune in to K-Dreaming with Mel, Living Well with Janet, and Spill the Baby Tea with Helen. Each week, we'll release a new episode from one of the shows right here on the Asian Boss Girl feed. So be sure to tune in to us on Tuesdays and Thursdays from now on. We will catch you on the next one. Bye! Bye. Bye.